I'm here to discuss the so-called flying saucer. The film and the creature are authentic. The first pictures ever taken of a Sasquatch. But they got nearly up to this UFO, but it was close enough to see some creatures or things so they didn't look like human beings down there. He first asked me what I was called, and uh, he asked me, he said, but why are you frightened? He said, don't be frightened, we wish you no harm. Welcome back to The Strange Dispatch. It has been a while. It's been a good, good long while. In fact, it's been well over a year. Uh, This channel was pretty much completely quiet in the year of 2022, but it's 2023 and we're back and we are happy to be back. And um, yeah, just jumping right back in where we left off. Uh, I am sitting here for the first time again in a long while with my very good friend, Ian Schneider. Ian, what's up, man? Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty excited to be sitting here doing this again. Yeah, it's nice to be back at the headquarters. I cannot believe that it's been a year. I looked this o- over a year. It's been over. I looked this morning and uh yeah, like it since you and I sat down and recorded, I think the last time we did was September of twenty twenty one. So over a year. Well, where does the time go? Indeed. Yeah. It uh yeah, time really has less and less meaning. Um with every passing year, especially in the fucked up timeline that we currently still find ourselves living in. So how was your 2022? It was good, man. It was busy, uh, you know, work and real life stuff. Um, a lot of that, but it was good. Uh, you know, we got some really good issues of the zine out and did a lot of other fun stuff, met up with some folks, um, that I've met through my journeys doing strange days and the strange dispatch. And, uh, yeah, just kind of powering, powering forward with, with doing all this weird stuff. How about you? Um, I mean, definitely busy personal life stuff, general, whatever, nothing that interesting. I haven't stayed as alive in the world of the weird, the way that you have. I'm happy that you have obviously a very productive year for you. The zine is looking fucking awesome. <clears throat> and uh, I did listen to all of the little appearances that you made on kind of the, uh, the other podcasts in the community. And I think it's awesome that you're putting the time into, you know, nurturing and uh, being a part of that community. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been um, it's been great. It's I've met so many people. I was fortunate enough to hang out with Jim Perry last year and be on his show, Euphemet. And I was on uh, Bigfoot Collectors Club, which was really fun. Another podcast and another podcast called Anomalous Waves with my new friend, John McEdward. Uh, and yeah, it, it's awesome. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a really cool community and it's really rad to like be meeting people and not just like being like Instagram friends or whatever. Cause like that's, this is maybe not a popular opinion, but like, that's like my least favorite part of this is like having, having to have a social media presence, but it has brought good things like meeting all these other cool people. So that's rad. Sure. Yeah. It is a natural consequence of it, but, uh, the next step to, to actually go and do the things that you message each other about yeah. is awesome. <clears throat> Takes a, uh, you know, effort. And that's very cool of you and brave of you to stay, stay in the game. You know, I didn't intend really to kind of fade away from the scene in 2022, but you know, you get 
look, you get to a certain point with this stuff, you're poking around stuff, talking about stuff, and you start getting people looking at you. And I'm not talking about the listeners. I'm talking about not great. I'm talking about bad people. I'm talking about the wrong people. So you got to know when it's time to cool your jets, call it quits for a little bit to lay low. I took 22. I laid low. You know, we dove into a lot of stuff in 2021. Yeah. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but you get told by the right people, it's time to kind of chill out. You chill out. And I got you not going anywhere, calling me up. We got to get back in. We can't stop here. We got to keep our head in the game. 2023, we're back. It's 2023, right? It is 2023. We're living in it. We're okay, in there it, it is. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm glad to be back. And I, I don't plan on uh, fading out like that again anytime soon. Yeah, me either. We have, we're, it's going to be a good year. We're going to do, we're back in the dispatch. We're going to do more dispatches. Uh, with, this is not going to be, uh, we show our face in January or we'll, it'll be February when this episode comes out and then you don't hear from us. We're in, we're back. Um, and there's plenty of stuff to continue to talk about, stuff that we said we wanted to cover, new things that have come up. You know, there's just an endless uh, fountain of weird for us to, to dive into. And that's why we're here today. We're back doing it. Um, we have a really cool episode t- today. Really, really cool story. Story that I only sort of delved into within like the last year or so. I picked up a book about it and started reading it or read it, read through it last year. But you, it's been on your radar for a long time. I guess I've known, <clears throat> I've known about it, and it's just been kind of such a a big funny thing. It's almost kind of like a a piece of American folklore in a way, I guess you could say, from the 50s. Totally. So I've never read a book about it. Uh, it's just always kind of popped up. So I was very aware of it. But, you know, looking at kind of the stuff you sent me to look at, your notes, the book that I guess I got about halfway through, it's uh, it's an interesting story. It's fun. It's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I guess I have a little bit more of a fully formed opinion about it, but... I think it's a cool thing and also just kind of a a fun thing for the listeners as we start kind of a new uh, leg of the dispatch to to get buddy, everybody kind of, you know, thinking in that way. Again, it's not too serious. It's lighthearted, really fucking interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's fun and silly and easy to talk about. So Totally. Now that you've worded it that way, it's like a, it's a good, you know, I guess this is our, you can say this is like a season premiere for us, season whatever it is. Yeah, it's a season premiere. I, we've never really thought thought about the dispatch in those terms, but other people who do podcasts break it up into seasons. So it's a good season premiere for us. And yeah, it's a, it's like totally a really fun piece of American folklore. What season would this be? Season two? I, I, maybe season three. Season three. I mean, it's like we did a whole season on the Patreon and then we did a season out in the open on, you know, the, the normal airwaves and now mm-hmm. we took a break and we're back. I don't know. It, it is what it is. But. Should we start over? Welcome back to season three. <laughs> I will. I welcome back to season three, everybody. Um, but yeah, this story is cool. It's going to be really fun to talk about. I have a lot of questions and opinions and, and it's weird and fun, but before we get into it and before we, we divulge what, uh, what we're actually talking about today, it seems like we should, uh, talk about, UFO news net here in 2023, the news that we're living through. Um, we're recording this on the last day of January, January 31st, 2023. It'll be out the first week of February. But about two weeks ago, um, the latest UAP report came out from the DOD, essentially, 
the national, uh, yeah, the Department of Defense. And to, to catch everybody up, if you're not totally familiar with that, uh, basically in twenty in December of 2021, uh, there was an amend, there was a, a, a National Defense Authorization Act uh, passed for the 2022 fiscal year that included an amendment that was spearheaded by several people um, in, in Congress. And basically this amendment uh, declared that an office would would be established um, to replace the UAP task force. So if you think about, if you, if you have listened to the show before, we talked about um, in the first episode that you can find on in the public realm was called the United States War on UFOs. And we talked in that about how, you know, uh, after the New York Times article started coming out, you know, these, these programs were revealed, these secret UFO or UAP programs were revealed, these programs that were said to not have existed. And, you know, names were named. And so we knew they were there. And this isn't totally, uh, you know, this is, that's a little bit old news at this point, but this amendment uh, was going to establish a new office. And in the same amendment, this office is required to provide an annual declassified update about the UAP phenomenon uh, by October 31st of every year through 2026. So um, we got the 2021 report. Wait, by, I'm sorry, by October 31st? That's a real, I, yes. I, that's another thing that I missed. Yes. The first time that I read it, that's yes. awesome. I don't know why that date was chosen. Uh, this report was late, obviously, like the, you know, the uh, online UFO uh, forums and UFO Twitter and stuff, people were, were really expecting some sort of bombshell to happen on Halloween. Um, but it was late. Uh, th so this is the second report. The first report came out in June of 2021. And um, now this is the second one. And so, yeah, these reports are just this new uh, programs look at uh, UFOs, UAPs. They don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPs. You know that. And this new office is called the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And it's AA... R-O for short. Arrow? Is that how you would say that? You think they're saying arrow? I haven't actually heard anyone say it out loud. Yeah, me neither. Uh, or R-O. I think... R-O, probably. R-O. Yeah. Arrow. They're both... They're both cool. The name is just cool. It is cool. All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Yeah. It is cool. Um, so, yeah. They just released this... The 2023 report came out on, I believe, January 12th of this year in 2023. So, it was couple months late it was due in october and already slacking <laughs> already slacking i think who are the people that are are in this office are they people promoted from inside the pentagon i actually don't people know. that are demoted because <laughs> they're three months late on the first one right like yeah I, I actually don't know that's a good question i mean i get it probably depends on who you ask if you ask them they probably think they got promoted it's probably just like fox Mulder. like he's in the basement he thinks he's got the best job in the world he's studying ufos and everybody else is like Jeez, that guy. Either way, it's it's a. I don't mean to to make fun of anybody. It's an absolutely welcome addition. Yes, uh, definitely. So um, I won't get into the 2021 report. We've that's already come and gone. You can look that up and read it for yourself. I will say, you know, so there are classified and declassified versions of these reports that they make. Obviously, we get the declassified version, but they also annually, I believe, are providing. You know, I know are providing classified versions of these reports and having closed door meetings about them and etc. Few things of interest in this report. Uh, just jumping jumping into it. One thing that I think is really really worth noting is that 
they are changing the the wording of some things here. So UAP, you know, UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Once the you know once videos started coming out, military videos of these Tic Tac videos, and and people started whistleblowing, and then this office, you know, these secret that what were in the early 2010s secret. Um, programs that were investigating this phenomenon. Once this all came to light, they stopped, you know, using, they were no longer using the term UFOs. They're using UAP, which is, which was unidentified aerial phenomenon. But in this report, they make a note to say that they are now, uh, UAP to them can now stand for, and it doesn't say if it's definitively one or the other. I think it's probably, you know, interchangeable depending on the context, but it is now going to, going to be referred to as unidentified anomalous phenomenon. And the reason for this is because they, this is the DOD basically recognizing that not all of these unidentified crafts are uh, aerial. Some of them are, you know, uh, submersible. Uh, some of them are transmedium that can go into the air, out of the water. They can do both. And so that's them, you know, recognizing this. But that is, you know, I, I have to, uh, to clarify that they were so once um, once this report came out and this new wording was sort of people realized it they the Pentagon had this like media roundtable event I haven't looked into it or, or watched it or anything but during this event they they said one of someone named uh, Ronald Moultrie who's uh, the Undersecretary of Defense for intelligence security, he said, you may have caught that I just said unidentified anomalous phenomenon, whereas in the past, the department has used the term unidentified aerial phenomenon. This new terminology expands the scope of UAP to include submerged and transmedium objects, unidentified phenomenon in all domains, whether air, sea, ground, or space, pose potential threats to personnel security and operation security and require uh, urgent attention. But he said... Um, he went on to say that they don't have, as far as he has read, uh, they have not, I'll just go straight to the quote, sorry, tripping over my words. He says, we have not, to the best of my knowledge, had any credible reporting that we've been able to analyze of transmedium activity or transmedium objects. We're still going through the data, and so I would say it's early on in the process. I don't want to be definitive and say there's nothing, but I would say that we have not, since the May hearing, had any, any indications of transmedium activities with UAPs. So they're not admitting that they have... Um, data for for transmedium or you know submersible uh, submersible UAPs or anomalous phenomenon but they are recognizing that that's an option or that that is something that's out there and, and that's not news to anybody who's been following this for a long time there are t many videos of objects uh, there's this really great one I think from the Puerto Rican airport in Puerto Rico of this object that's like cruising right above sea level over the water and then it dips down and comes back and it's kind of like a dolphin jumping in and out. So this isn't, you know, groundbreaking stuff, but it is interesting to note that they're willing to recognize that not all of this stuff is coming from the air. A couple years ago when they started talking about UAPs, they weren't talking about anything in detail. They were just saying like, sure, maybe. And now everybody's paying, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are paying a lot more attention to it and saying, well, like this behavior is different. This behavior is different. And then looking at them. And so again, they're saying, sure, maybe. So it's just kind of business as usual for them. It's not 
you know, they're not going to... I don't want to sound like negative. They're not going to have anything interesting right. to say to right. us. They're just, you know, they're not. This right. is huge. Right. They're even entertaining the conversation. So I think that's cool. They're talking about it. And just the fact that they're using the word anomalous or anomaly, it's it kind of opens the window to any, like, what's the one in 2024? Are they going to start talking about cryptid stuff are they going to talk about portals like yeah, yeah totally. are they going to yeah. start talking about you know of course they have to keep a you know a tight it has to be a uh, a laced up right. thing it yeah, can't yeah. be uh you know uh imaginative or silly it has to be as kind of rigid as as it can potentially be i think it's cool and i think it's another little step in the right direction I of totally just opening a, a larger conversation of what you know kind of what we're what we're doing here and what we why we're talking about this why the zine exists is like exactly weird things happen how, how what should be the language that we use to talk about it and uh, if there's any formal establishment of that i think it's a a cool thing uh, what do you think i don't think anybody's looking at these reports it's the second one that's come out as if there's going to be some big reveal. I think it's just teaching us, hey, if you want to be a part of the conversation, this is how you talk about it. Yeah, I th- actually, that's a really well well said. I think. Yeah, I think that when, you know, when before the first report came out, there was a lot of you know a lot of speculation, a lot of ideas of what it was going to be, and like there are always going to be those people who are like, this is it, this is it. They're going to like show us the craft. They're going to show. They're going to tell us everything. They're going to reveal all. And it's not that we know that that's not it. It's just it's been little bit by little bit since. Also, the- when that first one came out, it was the, just the feeling in the world was that yeah. like who fucking knows yes. like what's what's next yes so i do understand that now that things have kind of you know things are boring and quote unquote normal again uh you know obviously i didn't think that they were gonna show us like uh an alien or a craft or anything not yet but it was like well fuck i don't i don't know what can well, anything could happen yeah <laughs> now I mean, it's a little bit more like you know you see you see the the constraints of it and it's still very valuable and cool and i don't think they're being shady or lying or whatever like andrew said these are the declassified notes of a larger classified document and i uh because like i said before i know they're listening i know they're watching us guys i appreciate it i i think it's cool andrew thinks it's cool we like to to read it and we do want to be a part of that conversation and i want to know the 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 formal way to speak the language. So. Absolutely, and it's. I mean, we've made such huge, huge strides. There's, we like, we're not at all downplaying that. I mean, when the original, when the New York Times published uh, their article that sort of like reintroduced UFOs, UAPs into pop culture conversation. It was in December of 2017. And the title of that article was glowing auras and black money, the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. So now that was, that was December, 2017. So it's not, it's just over five, you know, or I mean, four years later that now we're getting like in four years, they've gone from denying that these programs exist to admitting that they've exist, admitting that they did exist, to upgrading them essentially, giving them more budget and more power. Maybe there are still going to be black organizations that we don't know about. That's probably still happening, of course. Secret UFO programs. Right. But now, like we've in, in just that short amount of time in in four or five years we have gone from secret UFO programs to, yeah, they are, here they are, here's a report, here's a second report. So it's it's a step in the right direction. I mean, it, don't forget that before this New York Times article came out in December of 20, 
17, the government was denying that they were investigating the aerial phenomenon at all, and they said that they had not been since December of 1969 when Project Blue Book closed. So, like, that's, I mean, that's huge. That was 50 years, 48 years between Blue Book closing and the New York Times outing these, the, the, um, the program that was going on back then in 20, the early 20 teens, which was the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP. So 50 years passed, and now over the course of five years, they're releasing data to us about it. So it's a big deal. It's like, it's cool. It's a big deal. And like, listen, I, there are, you know, my uh, interest in UAP and UFO phenomenon is different than a lot of people's. Like a lot of, I'm not, if you've listened to this show before, you know I'm not necessarily a nuts and bolts guy when it comes to this stuff. And a lot of people who are reporting on these, what's going on now are. So, you know, are they might have their own opinions if you're if you're getting your info from other outlets. But I think this is rad. Like you said, them recognizing that this stuff can be transmedium. What's next? Like interdimensional? Like is that going to be language in a, in a report soon? Like maybe. That, that would be amazing. Interdimensional stuff, portal stuff. If they started talking about that, that would be okay, I need to change careers. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real. Uh, yeah, so it's cool. Um, it, you know, other the, the rest of the report, it's pretty dry. You can go look it up. It's You can download it on your phone. You can you can download it on your computer or whatever. It's kind of dry, right? It is, yeah. They're basically, they go over the rhetorical, this is about, you know, safety, the continued observance of potential threats to safety or flight hazards. So, sure, you know, that's kind of like, hey, we have to say, this is about safety and flight hazards. And then, you know, here's the, the I, well, I guess they do get into some safety stuff. There was something about, uh, there was the, the health. Yeah. It, the other interesting thing in this report or the other thing that jumped out at me other than UAP having a new definition is there's a, a section that talks about health implications and it's uh, in the report. It reads regarding health concerns. There have also been no encounters with UAP confirmed to contribute directly to adverse health related effects to the observers. Acknowledging that health related effects may appear at any time after an event occurs. RO will track any health reported or excuse me, any reported health implications related to the UAP should they emerge. And this is really interesting so it's sort of the same thing with the trans medium is they're saying um, that they don't have data on this, but they're recognizing that this might be a thing that comes up as they're collecting data on this. And this this harkens back to, you know, late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, like Project Blue Book, you know, UFO encounters, abductions as we know them, close encounters of the third kind where people have these health issues after they have these close encounters. They get sunburn, they get conjunctivitis in their eye, they get ill, physically ill, like during an encounter, after an encounter. I mean, you you know, this stuff is in the lore. It's deep in the mythology of UFOs. Right, yeah. Most of it that you that you read about or dig into, there's, you know, there's going to be some... Uh, visible thing or some physical thing with the person. And I think it's cool that they're doing kind of like a, again, it's baby steps, but a, an informal nod to maybe what protocol is going to be to where it's like, okay, you think you've had this type of experience. Here's a list of 10 or 20 different, you know, uh, physical kind of, not anomalies, but just a, a, do you have a rash? Are you dizzy? Like, are you, you know, just as a way to kind of 
you know, who knows, in 20 years, maybe it's like, well, these three things are always known to happen when right. this kind of thing happens. Right. Or if you encounter this type of thing, it's always this thing. So it's just, you know, they don't have it all figured out, but they're, you know, they're inching towards protocol. And I, I think it's really cool. I uh, I do also, so we're just going to go with RO, right? RO, yeah, I think RO. Okay. Arrow's like a little cooler, but I think RO is probably accurate. Yeah, I think they would have they structured the, the acronym differently if they wanted it. They would have yeah, weaseled right. in it. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's cool that, you know, they're, they're doing all this stuff will allow for increased coordination of efforts against the UAP problem set. Uh, Increased coordination of efforts. So That jumped out at me too. So dealing with the FAA and NASA and kind of, you know, kind of the office that the FAA or NASA. So just adding a little intermediary between those things, FAA and NASA. I'm sure there's other places, but those are just the two big ones that kind of the obvious ones that jump out to me. Yeah. So it's like, you know, kind of like a little more refined office that deals with X-Files stuff. Right. Which, yeah, which is cool. And, and I mean, anybody who has an, a, a, even a slight interest or UFOs or even like true crime stuff, you know that it's, that these government agencies, you know, in local levels and federal levels have a hard time coexisting and sharing information. This is how serial killers get away with like years long shit because they right the bureaucracy is their own worst enemy. Right, and it's- they're they're not they're not sharing this information. So this is another it's another step forward. I mean, listen, I you have to understand that like. It, or it has to be mentioned that, of course, like the United States and the DOD's interest in UFOs is, is, it's you know militarized. It's safety. You know they're saying it's safety. It's safety for our airspace and all that stuff. It, it's militarized. They they're not you know their motives are not the same as is someone like me who's who just soaks this shit up like a sponge and I just really want to know you know they they're they're here. It's all militarized. So you got you got to understand that. But it still is super super interesting. Um, it, before we move on and get into the numbers of this report, I did want to say, so on, uh, on the debrief.org, they they talk about uh, this report in a couple different articles and, and on the health implications, they have a really good point that they brought up. And they, they basically say, they're saying that, you know, in, in the statement about health concerns, they're saying, uh, the report says um, there's no confirmed cases basically and so the debrief is pointing out that like that is maybe a key word there confirmed meaning that there there are cases there are cases there maybe is speculation um but they or they're suspected is what the debrief is is um saying but you know that it's not confirmed which is like a really interesting point and like is totally some circular language that the dod would use in in saying well we said it you know like they they're being forced to be quote-unquote transparent here and like this is their way when you're on this topic nothing is confirmed that's the whole point is none of it is confirmed right so it's Saying non-confirmed cases is the same as saying cases. Yes, and uh, yeah, in this in this very specific contained context. Yes, and if you're interested in reading more about that, this article is on the debrief.org. It's called the 2022 Annual Report on UAP. Four significant takeaways you probably missed. It's by um, Micah Hanks, and if you are into UAPs in 2023, you probably know that name. He's he has a podcast, and he's he's uh, a very well-researched ufologist. So, yeah. Really interesting. And then, I mean, I guess, you know, we can't talk about the report with, without talking about the numbers. So in the report, they said that they've collected, since the last report came out in, t- in June of 2021, or since they wrapped that up at least, 
they said 247 new cases and then 119 quote-unquote since discovered cases after the last report. So basically they're saying, you know, they they found these files or maybe they weren't they hadn't wrapped up their investigation whatever. These these 119 extras are just ones that didn't necessarily come within the last calendar year but were still case files on their desk. Sure, so maybe the first tier of ROs Tightening up, right? Is yeah, yeah. Fleshing out these, these uh, 120, 119 these loose ends, or whatever. Engine, yeah, so, exactly. So that that's uh, 366 total cases. So uh, they say in the report that more of half, more than half of these reports exhibit unremarkable characteristics, and these are characteristics about how they move, how they fly, where they where they're seen. You know, the, the, obviously. A lot of this stuff is is you, people are reporting seeing crafts, or you see in these videos, these Tic Tac videos and stuff like these are crafts that are just doing things that we we don't know that are they seem to have technology that we're not aware of. It, you know, maybe military technology that exists that we aren't aware of, but it's like these are not commercial airlines; they're not private planes; they're not civilian drones. So they they exhibit unremarkable characteristics. So uh, in out of the three hundred and sixty six, they're saying like a, about a dozen. 12-ish or clutter, whatever, space, debris. Dude, I'm not I'm not unconvinced that it's not all fucking Mylar balloons. I walk around Brooklyn and there's a Mylar b- balloon stuck in every other tree. And back when I was a MUFON investigator, I, ha- I got at least two cases in, one was in Staten Island, and I think the other one was in South Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, of people had videos and I was like, oh fuck, I just got a report, there's video evidence, and it's like, it's a Mylar balloon, like blowing in the wind, like very obviously. And tell us again exactly what a Mylar balloon is. Just like the, f- the foil balloon. Oh, just a balloon. Just a balloons like the but not a like mylar is the material yeah yeah okay. like the metallic tell me not tell us tell me what it is not like okay, yeah, sure. not like a rubber balloon but like the one that you get like the number or like this this fucking spongebob balloon or whatever right. those are mylars yeah tw- about a dozen are clutter um 26 they're saying are unmanned air aircraft systems so these are drones these mm-hmm. are probably you know these are probably drones from black ops that people aren't unaware are unaware of coming from our own you know government or whatever uh china russia what you know uh, iran whoever like these are these things are, that they can sign off on though yes, like yeah the, that, that's the time of the day that's maybe, we know what that is maybe it wasn't supposed to be in our airspace or maybe it is exhibiting a technology that we didn't know china had or whatever but it is probably an unmanned aircraft system then speaking of balloons sorry i i, I misspoke i said the 12-ish were clutter that they classified as clutter were probably balloons and maybe they were mylar balloons but they then go on to say 163 are being classified as balloon or balloon like and that's not talking about the balloons you buy from the dollar store for your 30th birthday this is talking about like weather balloons or like some sort of other science related equipment like think about the you know think about roswell 1947 you know they said they said it was this balloon I'm not going to get into all that, but that's they're still they're still seventy years later. Let's let's get into balloons. a little bit because we before we started recording, so there are still weather balloons, like they do exist. Yeah. So of course it's you know it's a meme at this point that it's a weather balloon, but let's say the news team in you know rural like North Dakota, then maybe they did. I guess we should have. I should have looked into this and do weather boon. Like, do they do they still exist? Or are they still used? No, they do. It's not they outside do, of the sure. yeah. So maybe there's they just do. you know uh, places, people, professions in which it the the stuff you use. You know, when you go to work and you got to use a system that's a little outdated, but it still works. Yes. And it's like, well, 
I guess whatever, it still works. So they're just using antiquated information gathering weather balloons. What does a weather balloon do? <laughs> so I think that they do a couple things. I think that they they well they just track all you know they can be they track wind they 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 track uh, barometric it's got pressure they meet, track it's got temperature meters on it. They, it's full. It's, it's, it's literally. It's okay. just. It's just all this. Like imagine like a weather station that like your uncle has in his backyard or whatever. It's just like, a, you know, depending on whoever is balloon it is in their budget. It's just like a very you know uh, advanced version of that that's just being suspended on a balloon. They exist. I know that they exist. I've heard about them being used in other places. They send out. They send out their own balloons out on Skinwalker Ranch to try to measure the weird shit that goes right, on, right. on there and all this stuff. So weather balloons exist. That is not my issue. I'm not arguing the weather balloons exist. What I said to Ian before we started recording is that I am not entirely unconvinced that there's not just some fucking psyop that's been going on since 1947 that's just like, no, we said in 1947 at the Roswell crash in Corona, New Mexico, that this was a balloon and we have to fucking stick to that story until the end of time and we don't falter on it. So that we have to classify at least 171 of these 366 reports as balloons. And I don't know that I buy it, but you know, that's, it is what it is. I think that there's just some dude in that room who he's only there to remind them once a year that they have to at least classify a certain percentage as balloons because that's been the story they've been touting. For. What would that percentage be? Thirty percent, forty percent? Let's let's uh, let's do the math here. We have the technology. It's like it's just under fifty percent. So it's yeah, it's a lot. So that actually even makes my feel like that makes my case stronger. He's like, it's got to be at least half. Half of them are weather balloons. Always. I don't care what the data says. Like it's ha- like that's what I think is happening. Yeah. But, so you know, uh, twenty years from now when they decide to shut this down. Be like, see, it was always mostly weather balloons. <laughs> right. Um, it, so that I wrote 63 balloons here, but I think in my sloppy note taking typing, that's just a typo in I my part. I think it's 163. Let me, let me, I, w- I want to give the people accurate data. So let me look here. Uh, yeah, 163 <laughs> determined as being representative balloon or balloon like entities. You I just made a smoking man in a dark room. <laughs> smile. Yes. Hey, I, I, I at least I'm fucking recognizing right his work. <laughs> uh, and then, so that leaves, so that leaves 171 of these reports that came, uh, into RO's possession are currently unknown or uncategorized or uncharacterized. Demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis. That's a lot. That is, I mean, that is a lot. 100, 171. And, and that's not all of last is that all of last year or is that just since July of 20 of July of last year? Well, since it, so, either way, it's, yeah. if it's a six month period or a year, that is a lot of them being like, it's not a drone. It's not a fucking weather balloon. And it's not a bachelorette party balloon stuck in a tree in uh, Brooklyn somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot. It, in, yeah, I, I, it's a lot. It, it, that's what makes it so exciting. It's like, you know, if they had all the answers, I, I would be more skeptical than if they were just like, hey, we, we can't figure out on at least 170 of these. 170 of these. It's, it's interesting. And, and to answer your question, I'm not sure. I'd have to look into 
when how the cutoff for these reports start. So the first one came out in June, but I don't know when they stopped collecting data for that one and when right. they started collecting data for this one. And it's all based on like fiscal year shit, and I don't know anything sure, about those. Sure, but I mean, I just think there's a very generically we can say within the past year or so. Within the past year, about 170, so. yes. where they're like, we don't know. Yeah, and that's awesome because it's not like oh the six or the twelve or whatever that are online. There, so there's ten that we don't. know. It's like right. no, there's a there's a bunch. There's a bunch. Maybe they're not all as epic as that, and maybe there's things that we obviously we don't have access to. And there's this whole other thing where they're like, there's thirty of them that are doing this. We have no idea what that is either. But right. within that context of them admitting, just shrugging, there's 170. That's 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 a lot. That's promising. Yeah, because it shows they're not brushing things off. If that right. number was even 30. That would be a good number for sure to me, but 170 just says. I, I hope that doesn't sound extremely naive, but to me, it says they're taking it all really seriously, or some, somebody is. I think so. I think in uh, I think we meant we we talked about this when we did talk about the report from last year or from 2021 in June, and and I think when you said if it was 30, it would be impressive. In my mind. It's probably more like 30 or 50. I bet you of these 170, I, I really want to know, and I, I know for sure that I'm remembering that I brought this up when we talked about the last report. I want to know of these 171 unknown or unclassified, uncharacterized, in the classified report that we can't see, how many of those are then, how many of those, does that number get smaller in the classified Sure, report? the way it's split up for right. in the right. in the declassified version. Right. It, it, in, in the classified version, do the, can they say, okay, you know, of this 171 that we haven't categorized, we know that 40 of them are likely this technology that we know that we are developing or whatever, and they just can't right. reveal that to us. I wouldn't. I, I'm. I, that, I would like to know that. I mean, there are many things I would like to know from the classified version of this report. But either way, it's really interesting. I mean, it's it, like we have said several times, these are huge, huge strides that we've made in this world. And like, I'm going to keep paying attention. I mean, sometimes it gets old. I don't, I don't follow like all of the, the, the news when it comes to this UAP department of defense stuff with bated breath, because I think that like, if you're really, really on the edge of your seat waiting for something, you're just going to, it's just going to feel lackluster. It's going to feel like a letdown, but I think it's cool. And I think it's, I don't know. It's just interesting that there's just a rich history of UFO, of the relationship between the United States government and the DOD and the Air Force with UFOs. And, and we cover that in our, our episode, The United States War on UFOs. And if you're interested in that, definitely check it out. But yeah, I think it's very, very cool. And we'll see what happens when the 2023 report comes out. I'll, it, who knows what that will be. When the reveal. 2023 report comes out in spring of 2024. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So we got through the, the the 2022 UAP report, and now we are going to move on to this story. It's super fun. There's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot to un, uh, a lot to talk about with the story and how it's laid out based on the information we have about it, and then a lot of uh, I'm sure we're both going to have plenty of opinions and plenty to say at the end of it. But what we are talking about today is uh, Valiant Thor, and if you're not familiar with Valiant Thor. Get ready. This is a really great story. 
Yeah. If only there were UAP reports in 1957 from the Pentagon. Uh, I mean, there were Project Blue Book, of course, existed, right. but we, it, it, but you know, I know what you're saying though. But yeah, so uh, if you're not familiar, Valiant Thor was um, he was an alien. He was an extraterrestrial, uh, said to be a Venusian. Venusian is that how you say it? Venusian. I, yeah, I wanted to ask you, but I forgot. I, think I would... it's Venus, Venusian, a, a, a being from Venus, right? Venusian. An American man from Venus. An American, that is very well put. Val Thor was an American man from Venus, and uh, it's a really, really wild story. But before we get into it, I'm just going to just gonna jump in with a little bit of, of, of history here. So it was 1957, and it was just 10 short years after UFOs sort of entered the American zeitgeist, which of course started when Kenneth Arnold had his infamous run-in with nine unidentified and flying objects near Mount Rainier. And it was this encounter in June of 47 uh, that, that inspired the media to coin the phrase flying saucer based on the objects that um, Arnold recounted having seen. And just a week later, a cattleman named uh, Mark, Mac Brazel came across an enormous debris field on a remote ranch outside of Roswell, New Mexico. This, what he he claimed it was a crash. Obviously, you know, Roswell is, is its own story. But this, uh, this sort of spurred a national interest in UFOs. Um, and this, these events, along with some others, um, led to the forming of Project Blue Book, which was preceded by Project Sign and Project Grudge, and these were all United States Air Force programs in which the USAF was investigating UFOs. So this is, you know, the same as we're hearing about now, but this was the original version of it um, back in the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, so once Project Blue Book was off the ground, their goals were to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to analyze UFO-related data collected by the USAF. Official investigations were opened into some of the most infamous cases in ufology. In 1951, there were the Lubbock Lights in Texas. In 1952, there was a flap of UFO UFO sightings over Washington, D.C. that took place over several weeks in July. In September of 1952... Uh, there was a, the Flatwoods Monster in West Virginia, which is a really fun story. August of 1955, there were uh, little green creatures that attacked a group of farmers outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. So these are all Project Blue Book cases. You know, UFOs are in the zeitgeist. They're at the forefront of people's mind. The Air Force, the government is recognizing them. They're investigating them. This is this is the, the stage, you know, that we're setting uh, for when Valiant Thor comes into comes to Earth. Um, and you can, of course, hear more about Blue Book and all these different cases on our episode, The United States War on UFOs. So it's 1957, and this is the year when, according to a man named Dr. Frank E. Stranges. What a, what a fucking name. Yeah. Frank E. Stranges. Frank E. Stranges. Incredible name. Uh, and he was a doctor, allegedly. We'll get into that later. Uh, but according to him, uh, 1957 was when one of the most extraordinary UFO and extraterrestrial stories in U.S. history took place. And um, well, for, can I make a comment? Yes. The the most significant. I mean, if, if there was a shred of truth to this, it would be in a, a completely separate category. Yes. I mean, it, yes. it would be absolutely 100% the best UFO it, thing or just the best thing that's ever happened. It's extraordinary. Uh, but before we get into it, I do feel like I, I have to mention up front that the story of Valiant Thor, as told by Dr. Stranges, is incredible. It's You might even say it's unbelievable, as with most, most wild high strangeness tales. And I love this story. It takes place during the peak 
of the flying saucer craze uh, back when these objects were seen and written about like something out of a science fiction story as opposed to the slightly less exciting tic-tac and drone-like objects that we see now that we just you know spent 40 minutes discussing. Uh, but the, the story needs to be taken with the most giant grain of salt possible, in my opinion. Even though it's super fun, super intriguing, it, you can't ignore the fact that every detail of this story up until a point comes from just one man, and that man is Dr. Frank Strange. It all comes from this guy. So. It comes from this guy at the height of, I don't know, interest, obviously, in UFOs and stuff, but also just at the, the height of paranoia. And people's imaginations are running wild and Frankie Strange's gives the people what what they want, really. I want to, you know, I'll yeah. save this opinionated stuff for later. Yeah. But I mean, it, yeah, it, you're right. And, it, it, and it's worth noting that, you know, the, the government's interest in UFOs at the same time, their motives were exactly the same as they are now, especially here, especially in 1957. This is Cold War time. This is like, they want to know, is this Russia? Mainly, they want to know if it's Russia. They're, they're not thinking, they don't care about if it's little green men. They want to know if it's a threat to our national airspace, a threat to the country. So the motives are the same. Um, but so here we are with this story of Valiant Thor. And as with most cases like this, there are some glaringly obvious holes in parts of the story that we will discuss at the end or maybe as we get to some of them. But I don't know if I'll be able to wait till the end. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you right now. Fair enough. But I just have to put that out there. So before we get into Valiant Thor, I think we need to talk about Dr. Frank E. Strange's. And so all of this stuff, uh, are, are my source today, other than a few articles and uh, like one YouTube video, my main source is a book called Stranger at the Pentagon, which Strange's, Strange's wrote. And it's a story of Valiant Thor, and we're going to go over that. But in that book, uh, I'm going to read you the bio of himself that he wrote and published in that. It says, Dr. Frankie Stranges is founder and president of the National Investigations Committee on UFOs. In addition, he is president of the International Evangelicism Crusades, a worldwide Christian denomination, and International Theological Seminary of California. He was born in New York. He was educated in Brooklyn, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and California. He holds degrees in theology, psychology, and criminology. During the past 44 years, he has investigated various facets of the UFO phenomenon and has authored many books on the subject. His interest began while he was attending Bible school after hearing his roommate tell of an experience during the war. I assume this was World War II. He was told that the squadron in which his roommate was flying was buzzed by several UFOs during and during the debriefing, the pilots were told they had seen nothing unusual. So these are Foo Fighters. Uh, this is another great piece of UFO lore in in the in the United States. Uh, the pilots were told they had seen nothing unusual. After confirming the story with other members of the flight team, Strangers began serious inquiry into the fascinating subject of UFOs. He is assistant deputy director of the California State Marshals Association and a chaplain of the American Federation of Police. Numerous affiliations with law enforcement, scientific, religious, and public service organizations attest to his dedication to community service. His university and college presentations are recognized as an important contribution to the understanding of the truth about the UFO phenomenon today. And this was this book was written, I think it was published for the first time in like 63. Um, I have an updated version of it that came out a little bit later. Uh, but uh, Strange's died in 2008. So this is, this, you know, was all written back in the 60s. First thing I got to say, I got to, I got to, I was going to save it to the end, but I just, in the interest of being transparent, this guy talks about his uh, academic 
achievements in his own bio. And he claimed to have three PhDs, one from one school and two from another. Um, the one that he claimed to have, the school that he claimed to have one, the single PhD from didn't exist. And the school that he claimed to have the two PhDs from didn't offer any PhD programs. <laughs> so <laughs> that's this is what we're dealing with. Our first character reference of Frankie. It's Frank E is his middle, Ed, you know, whatever. So Frank E. Stranges. Yes. But for, so Frank E. Stranges is, he's the type of guy that has a bunch of PhDs, right? He decided he, he gave himself honorary PhDs, it sounds like. So this is, this is it. This is, the, this is the man who tells the story of Valiant Thor and he, his crazy relationship with Val Thor, and we'll get into that as the story unfolds. So he has, he has three PhDs. He's also a very, he's a religious man. That correct. He is religious. He is, uh, his whole thing was basically combining his religious beliefs with his belief in his investigation into UFOs. So he, he thought that there was, you know, some sort of divine, something at work with this phenomenon that that was his take on it, which I think was probably a pretty unique and interesting take in the fifties and sixties and seventies. It's still a cool one now. So it's kudos to him for that. For sure. But that I think also steered a lot of his motivations in how this story played out, at least according to him. So the, uh, as I said, the majority of the story comes from strange's book, uh, 1963 book, stranger at the Pentagon. And in this book, he recounts his decades long friendship with, the six-fingered Venusian sent Earth to save humanity named Valiant Thor. On March 16th, 1957, in the town of Alexandria, Virginia, just 14 miles south of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., two Alexandria police officers watched in awe as, a, as an unidentified flying object touched down in a wooden, wooded area just outside of town. As the craft landed, they drew their guns on the object, unsure of what was waiting inside. To their surprise, when the hatch finally opened, or a hatch finally opened, out walked a seemingly normal-looking man, not much different looking than, than themselves. He wore a silver and gold suit, complete with complete with boots, uh, and using some sort of non-verbal thought transference, which is a, a skill that this, this being had, he communicated to the two armed officers that he meant no harm and they lowered his weapons. He then spoke for the first time and he said, I need to see the president. First thing he said. First thing he said. First Where's words the president? Where's the president? The Alexandria, Alexandria PD were pretty unsure of what else to do. I'm so. sorry, can I, can I just note that it's funny that he made it to the woods outside of Washington, D.C. Right, right. yes. <laughs> so he was close. able to get really, really close, but... Super close. Did he not did he, did he? he not land on the lawn of the White House because he didn't want to make a big deal out of it, or did he just not know that the president was just down the street? That, that's just a funny detail. There's not much to talk about there, but that, you it have to admit that's kind of funny. But what you just said like triggered something in me. He... he he, I made it from Venus he, to yeah. the woods. Well, I think his whole deal was twenty like, minutes away from the president. I think his whole deal is like he's like I'm the biggest deal you've never heard of. Yeah, <laughs> right? totally. like that's kind yeah. of like his thing. That's as as we'll learn. That's Val Thor's thing. So, he has that look. Yes, I can only assume that you're going to include all those cool photos. Yes, we will post photos with this uh, with this episode when we will get to that. But so, I would I would recommend. Well, I guess if you're halfway into the episodes, you're not going to be able to do this. But hopefully, you will have looked at a picture of Val Thor. 
before, I guess there's no way that we can really preface. Uh, just, just you can cut that part out if you want, but keep, that'd be, that'd be cool if you for knew. The photos. Yeah. So Valthor said, or this man said, I need to see the president. This bean said, I need to see the president. So the Alexandria PD, unsure of what else to do, loaded the, the man into the back of a squad car and headed toward DC where the president was. And while the car was en route, someone from the local police station phoned the Pentagon. And there, on the other end of the line, they reached a man named Harley Andrew Bird. And Bird was a high-ranking Pentagon official who actually worked for Project Blue Book. And his job at Blue Book was essentially to answer phone calls and sort through mail, trying to distinguish credible UFO sightings and encounters from the many fakes and and, uh, exaggerations that Blue Book received. And Bird does write an intro to the book, to Strange's book, in Stranger at the Pentagon. So he does... This is like the only person who kind of confirms the story, at least parts of it. So when he answered the phone, on the other end was a panicked uh, police officer who explained that an apparent extraterrestrial was on his way to the Pentagon because he wants to speak to the president and we don't know what else to do. So this is going to be your problem. So we're bringing this guy to you. So once the strange man arrived at the Pentagon, he was met by obviously uh, security personnel, armed guards, but also by the Secretary of Defense and some other high-ranking military officials. And it was then that the stranger explained that he was from the planet Venus and he'd been sent to Earth by the Council of Central Control under the direction of the High Council, which, so the Council of Central Control is like the Venusian government and the High Council is sort of an intergalactic United United Nations, and they tasked him with coming to Earth to help save humanity. Basically, that was his goal. So he had he had a letter from the High Council that he needed to deliver to the president. After some understandable commotion, the man was taken to an elevator in the Pentagon that went many stories down, like way down into the earth. There, he was escorted by six armed guards and several Secret Service agents to a train that took him underground to the White House. The armed guards then uh, led him to the Oval Office where President Dwight D. Eisenhower was waiting behind the desk. So, just like that. He said he wanted to see the president. Now, like, I don't know, maybe two hours later, he's standing in front of Dwight Eisenhower. So standing before the president, the man extended his hand, and this caused the edgy Secret Service agents to draw their weapons on him. A couple of, a couple of them drew their guns. Eisenhower waved them off and accepted the stranger's handshake. And according to F- Dr. Frank Strange's, this is the, the, col- the co- this is the conversation that ensued. Eisenhower says, of course, you know we have suspended all rules of p- protocol. I have a good feeling toward you. Please, sir, what is your name? Valiant Thor. Eisenhower asks, and where do you come from? Thor says, I come from the planet your Bible calls the morning and evening star. Eisenhower says, Venus? Val Thor says, yes, sir. Eisenhower says, can you prove this? And he says, what do you constitute as proof? Eisenhower says, I I don't know. And he says, will you come with me to my ship? To which Eisenhower responds, my friend, I cannot come and go as I please. There are others to be considered. There are committees to be consulted and security measures to be adhered to. Please spend some time with us here. Let's get better acquainted, learn more about one another, and perhaps soon, real soon, we shall see. At that moment, the vice president, Rich Nixon, rushes into the room, and without hesitation, he offers his hand to Valiant Thor. I wish there was a picture of 
Richard Nixon and Val Thor shaking hands. That That's the photo that I want to see. I would want to see the photo from like three seconds later when he's burst into the room with his hand out. Val Thor says, my name is Valiant. And Nixon says, you have certainly caused a stir for an out-of-towner. Of course, we are not totally convinced of anything just yet, but suffice to say, we are checking and double-checking everything you say and do. When Sergeant Young from Alexandria radioed in and said that you had just landed, landed in a flying saucer, we thought, Young had flipped. Say, were you the one, or say, were you were you in on that UFO flap over Washington? You certainly had us all in a dither if you were. So he's referring to uh, what I mentioned earlier, which was in July of '52 when there was a whole bunch, there was a bunch of UFO activity over the White House, which is an interesting story. So from here, uh, Val Thor explained, and Val is the name that uh, Frank Stranges gives him. We're not taking the liberty of calling him Val. This is what Stranges calls him Val, his old buddy Val. So from here, Val explained to the president and the vice president that the planet Earth had been under observation of the High Council for hundreds of years. And with the detonation of the first atomic bomb in the New Mexican desert in the summer of 45, the High Council had started making plans to intervene. They decided these humans are idiots. They're gonna fuck this all up for everybody. We have to do something. He Thor then handed the letter from the High Council to Eisenhower. Uh, then he was told to follow the, the Secret Service, and they led him back to the underground train, back to the Pentagon, where he was taken to a beautifully, fully, a beautiful, fully furnished apartment, where he would spend the, his next three years on Earth. He lived in this apartment, this fully furnished apartment that was somewhere within the Pentagon. Um, and during this time, he, he uh, his ship, along with his three fellow crew members, still on it, named Don, Jill, and Tanya, would wait in hiding in the woods outside of uh, of Alexander Alexandria, Virginia. So. It's a very funny dynamic it is, for the four of them. It's like, Val gets his own sweet furnished apartment, and they just they so they live in the ship. They the just sh- have to live in the, sh- in the ship. So the, in the ship wood. is just there for three years, according to this story. Yes, it's just there for three years. I do. They don't talk about it while it's sitting there, but they t- it is later in the story mentioned that it, there was some sort of invisibility force field that this ship had, some sort of technology. So I assume that they used that to keep it covert. Right, yeah, that's what I would do. Poor Don, Jill, and Tanya are just fucking sitting on their ship that's docked and Val's like living it up with high society, the president of the United States and Dick Nixon in the Pentagon in this beautifully fully furnished, beautiful, fully furnished apartment. But maybe he's also like the guinea pig. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe he maybe he lost the bet. So, it, but it, it seemed that he was sort of prepared for this. He It seemed like he was prepared to stay for such a significant length of time. He would end up being there for three years. Uh, and during this time, he was in contact constant contact with his crew and they would also come visit him and and they were also in contact with what they called the starship which is sort of like the mothership like craft that Val says is in constant orbit above the earth during his stay at the Pentagon he would he would come come and go as he pleased sometimes it was via teleportation uh, not always and other times um, as strange as put it in his book he would he would exercise trans imagery w- w- causing security guards to visualize a non-existent ID badge. So he would like come to security at the Pentagon and get them to hallucinate seeing uh, credentials that Val didn't actually have, which is interesting because I guess when you think about it in that way, I guess like did they just were were they thinking that they were imprisoning him there and like he would just be stuck there? They didn't give him the credentials to come and go. He had to he had to like use his his sort of right. Yeah, I was means. I was just gonna say that, but that I guess makes the most sense. Right. They're like, hey, you just hang out here, right? And you're you know just kind of a prisoner that we're gonna 
treat really well. Yeah, I guess so. Obviously, they don't know who they're dealing with. Clearly, no one did at this time. No one knew. It's just kind of funny that there wasn't like a consistent way in which he did it. Sometimes he did it. Sometimes he did that. Depends Uh, on who was on shift that day. (laughs) Right. Shortly after Val's initial meeting with President Eisenhower, he was invited to join the president at a UFO, a sort of low-key UFO convention held in the backyard of famed ufologist Howard uh, Menger. Menger, I think it is. Menger? Menger? M-E-N-G-E-R. I never know with that one. I never know either. Even before the arrival of Val Thor, Howard claimed to be in contact with extraterrestrials from from Venus. Uh, His story gained traction when he published photographic evidence of crafts that he alleged belonged to uh, these these beings from Venus that that he was in regular contact with. Later, these Polaroids were largely believed to be fake, but he still attracted Howard Menger, Menger, still attracted a large following of other contactees. And he lived in Highbridge, New Jersey, and would often host these these types of meetings to discuss people's experiences and the state of ufology, etc. Here, his followers followers would meet and share their experiences, and um, Val and his crew were welcomed with great excitement. And what I think is interesting about this is how this dude. I mean, these aren't. This isn't what I think of this guy. I haven't actually read any of his books, but he's got a ton of them. I have one on the shelf that I've been meaning to read. This guy, Howard Menger. How did he get the president to come over for a backyard UFO barbecue? <laughs> like <laughs> that. Yeah, it's apparently he did. Are there? Uh, I mean, he's not in the pictures. There's the pictures no. of them in the backyard. The four of them. Right. No. There's ne- no. Neither Howard Menger, Menger, Menger. I should have looked this up. It's gonna drive me crazy and probably drive the listeners crazy. But neither Howard nor Eisenhower are in any of the pictures. It's like. So I. Th- think they're just stock photos. So, again, if you haven't seen the photos, this group of the people from Venus, these four people from Venus, they are like extremely good looking. It almost looks like uh, behind the scenes of a like a photo shoot for like a advertising. Yeah, they, yeah they're like a mo- they're like models. They're Val models. Thor is like the best looking dude. He's so well dressed. I guess you know the pen- Pentagon's putting him up. But so anyway, right. so you're there. You're not. These pictures from this backyard hang in New Jersey, it's just like, it looks like a scene out of a movie. They're just dressed so well. They're so good looking. And so these pictures that Ian is talking about were taken by a young United States Air Force photographer who was also invited to this meeting. And this guy's name was August C. Roberts. And he snapped these now famous photos of Val and his crew as they conversed with the group. So we'll put a link up for that. But in these photos, it's like, yeah, Val's hanging out. He's got like a clipboard. He's taking notes. His crew is just sitting there with him. And they literally look exactly what he said. They look like people, they look like the talent, like the models from like some sort of advertising campaign. They're like dressed to the nines. Val's hair is like perfectly quaffed and perfectly slicked back like not a single follic is out of place like they're absolutely perfect he's he's a very very handsome man so during this meeting Val talked about his people he talked about the civilization from which he came from and said that they were nonviolent. he explained that his race lived underground on Venus and that many planets in the universe sustain life in the same way he said that they lived in complete harmony on his home planet and his hope and his mission was to help guide the people of Earth toward a similar existence and he was very adamant and that the first step in achieving this step, or the first st- step in achieving this was to stop the use of nuclear weapons. That was his main objective. Did you mention that they were a God-fearing people? So these Not people yet. on okay, Not yet. Yeah. no, go ahead, take it, go, go for it. I mean, I just that's it. 
these people from Venus that lived underground uh, and had like amazing style and genetics. They were Christian. Yeah, not just God fearing, but Christian. Right. Jesus he had Christ the, fearing Christian folks. Yeah. Uh, extraterrestrials. They, uh, you know, he earlier when you were talking about his, you know, that initial meeting with Eisenhower, he says, I'm from the planet that your Bible refers to as the the morning, the morning, the evening star. Well, the morning and the evening star. So he's a Christian. He's he's a Christian. Uh, and Stranges is also a Christian. Correct. Stra- exactly. So we get our first little uh, tidbit of. Well, we just get a little bit more uh, preferable information about the scenario. Right. More, so more very, very interesting that uh, Doctor Stranges <laughs> has become friends with a, a Christian from Venus. Anyway, go on. So the letter that Valthor had delivered to President Eisenhower explained that the High Council had decided to intervene in the interest of preserving Earth and its people and, you know, preservation, preserving Earth or the Earth's preservation was of interest to them because it would have repercussions on the whole universe and the galaxy. So in a shocking twist, as Ian said, it turned out that the Venusians were a God-fearing race and they believed it was their duty to save our humanity on Earth from ourselves. And Val was sent to deliver the blueprint for everlasting life. He said he could help eradicate all all that plagued humanity. Disease, poverty, starvation. He was here to help make uh, make this a euphoric planet to live on. And as I said already, his, the main, the first step in this was to just stop the use of nuclear weapons, stop the nuclear arms race. This was this was certain to be our demise. But to Val's disappointment, Eisenhower explained that his offer to help would upset the U.S. economy in catastrophic ways. He feared that it would plague the United States into an abyss of chaos, as he said. And he claimed that the people of Earth were simply not ready to cope with such conditions as would come into existence if the recommendations of Val and the High Council were put into action. Able to plainly see the disappointment this news brought Val, Eisenhower invited Val to assist in a number of scientific projects dealing with space and medical achievements while Val was still here. So, you know, Val is feeling defeated. Um, he, he has been tasked with this mission and to no surprise, you know, the United States government is like, nah, we're good. We don't need, we don't need this divine intervention from you. We don't, we don't want to live in perfect harmony. It's going to really confuse people. No, thanks. It's going to upset the economy. <laughs> can't have you, can't have you telling people how to have everlasting trouble-free lifestyles. It's going to upset the economy. So, Val continued his stay at the Pentagon, and while he was there, one, you know, he had came in wearing this uniform, and this uniform became something that people were interested in, and it was it was studied extensively. and the, In the book, uh, Frank Stranges describes the uniform as soft, uh, silver and gold, made made of an unknown, lustrous fabric. It was close fitting. Uh, it was like a one piece suit that included boots, and it only weighed six ounces had no pockets, buttons, or zippers, and was apparently indestructible. Uh, an attempt was made to, tr- to drill it with a diamond drill, which snapped. It was shot at with a high-velocity rifle, which was ineffective, and it was even uh, focused on by an incredibly powerful laser beam that was unable to penetrate it. Uh, according to Stranges, the official report from, from the Pentagon categorized the garment of not of this earth, which... 
I really love that detail because, you know, there in one of these reports uh, or one of these articles that came out a couple of years ago about UAPs and in, in the government, in our uh, like ATIP and these systems, there was a quote that came out one time of crafts not of this earth. So I really love that this is, I don't know. It, it, I just love that it's the same language. It's interesting. And then, yeah, he had this wild spaceman suit that sounds cool. I mean, not a diamond drill or a high powered rifle or a laser can penetrate it. I mean, yeah, that that's maybe that's where he got his confidence from. Maybe that's where Val Thor got his confidence from. I'm pretty sure it came from his looks. <laughs> uh, the suit, the suit doesn't hurt. So you're probably wondering how Strange's plays into Val's story. Well, sometime in the late 50s, the photographer from that meeting in Jersey, August C. Roberts, reached out to Dr. Frank E. Strange's, passing along the photos that he took of Val and his crew. And this is where Strange's sort of comes into the story. He was often on lecture tours at the time, and he uh, would speak about UFOs and how it intersected with his faith and his theories on that. And when he was offered these photos, he immediately uh, incorporated them into his presentations. You know, here you can clearly see a picture of four uh, Venusians at a secret UFO meeting, et cetera, et cetera. So a short time after this, in, in late 1959, after giving a lecture in Washington, D.C., he was approached by a woman named Nancy Warren who had been in attendance. And Nancy explained that she worked at the Pentagon and she knew the Venusian in the photos. After showing Frank Strange's her Pentagon ID, her clearance badge, she asked him if he wanted to meet the being uh, known as Val Thor. And Frank Stranges, of course, said yes. He was picked up the next morning at 8 a.m. And to his astonishment, he was able to accompany Nancy past Pentagon security, past armed guards, several guard shacks, through doors, even though he didn't have the clearance to be there. He later recalled uh, that the guards seemed to visualize a security badge that he didn't actually have. So this is Val Thor hasn't even met this man yet. He hasn't even met Frank Stranges yet, and he's already hooking him up with some of his extraterrestrial powers, getting him past security. I guess so, yeah. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was accompanied by right. the woman right. who worked for the Pentagon. Once inside, Nancy led him to an unmarked door where she left him alone and he stood there in silence. Valthor greeted Dr. Strange just warmly as he opened the door to his Pentagon apartment. In the room, in the apartment, were three other men who seemed completely unaware of Frank Strange's arrival. Uh, Strange's wrote in his book, Later I would find out that Val had clouded their minds and rendered them oblivious to the entire session. So Val flexing his skill here again. Um, Strange's took in Valiant Thor for the first time. He described him as about six feet tall, 185 pounds, with brown wavy hair, brown eyes, and a slightly tanned complexion. Uh, after shaking his hand, he noted that Thor didn't have any fingerprints, and he thought this was unique. And uh, I'll get into this. How more. did he notice that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was like trying to shake my own hand and like decide if I would notice that. I, I don't know. He claims that he did. I'll get into this. Add more. that to the list. Add it to the list. Another thing to add to the list that I'll get into more later, probably. But it, when you when you look up Val Thor. People claim that he had six fingers on each hand. He had 12 fingers. Now, this book, this is not mentioned in Strange's book, Stranger at the Pentagon, but it is like online. It's one, it, it comes up a lot. 
Strangest doesn't address this, and it's unclear where the descriptor came from, but this is something that is easily debunked if you believe that the photos of Val Thor are authentic because you can clearly see that he has five digits on each hand. So, you know, this is this is just how this story goes. But to, you know, uh, Frank's defense, he's not the one who said, or I don't know for sure if he's the one who said he had six fingers. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. But back at the Pentagon in 1959, after initial introductions, um, Val Thor immediately began to tell Dr. Stranges about his mission to help mankind. He told me that his purpose in coming was to help mankind return to the Lord. He said that man, uh, humankind was further away from God than ever before. Of course, being a man of the cloth, uh, Thor was speaking Strange's language, literally. I mean, he, he uh, this is what Strange's believed. This is what he lectured on. This was like his his take on UFOs was that it was some sort, there was some sort of divine presence involved. Um, and then after this meeting, Stranges noted that Val always spoke in positive terms and he always had a smile on his face. Uh, so Thor went on to or Val, as Frank would call him, went on to explain to, to Stranges that he wouldn't force his, he wouldn't force his agenda upon leaders of earth, but he was happy and hoping to be consulted. But up until that point, all of the government and military officials had missed Val Thor's point entirely. When Stranges asked how many other uh, Venusians were walking on the planet at the time, Thor answered that there were presently 77 of us walking among you in the U.S. We are constantly coming and going. He also explained that there's life on many of the other, uh, life on many other planets of which people on Earth know nothing. And he told Stranges that his three-year mission uh, was going to come to an end in just a few months. He was he was supposed to leave Washington D.C. no later than March. Um, 16th, 1960, and I believe this meeting was happening in like December of 59, so there wasn't a lot of time left. Uh, Strange just left the Pentagon. He was enthralled by Val. He was, this was, you know, a life-changing experience for him, of course. He's a, he's a ufologist. He just met a Venusian. Like, it, it, it literally changed his life. And he claims a short time after this meeting, he was approached by the FBI and they were eager to hear what business he had at the Pentagon and just how he was able to get past security. He says he, he told them the truth, but they didn't believe him. He was questioned for over three hours and he was released only after passing a lie detector test. I would love to see the look on an FBI agent's face if you're like, oh yeah, I went, I went there to meet this Venusian and he made the guards visualize a badge that I didn't have. What what else is there to know? Like, <laughs> I love that the lie detector test. <laughs> the lie detector test. After three hours or two hours, I mean, they I finally guess this, hooked him up. This was back in the era of, oh, you don't want to have to take a lie detector test. <laughs> right, right. It's like, yeah, I think it probably, they put a lot more credence into it back then. A short time later, Valiant Thor had his final meeting with President Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Val was met with the same responses he had received the entirety of the three years that he had been on our planet. Eisenhower did propose the idea of revealing Val to the people of Earth and telling them of the plan that he had brought with him to save humanity, but this idea was quickly squashed by the Secretary of Defense, the head of the CIA, and all of the military chiefs of staffs that were present and consulted the president. He also proposed organizing a joint meeting before the General Assembly of the United Nations, something Thor had really been hoping for since his arrival. He, you know, he wanted he wanted to talk to other world leaders, not just uh, the the president of the United States. But this idea was also rejected by all of these 
people consulting the president. The advisors feared that if the truth came out, citizens would rally around Val and the government would lose control of its grasp on its own citizens, which is interesting. I don't know if you've ever read... um, there's a book called Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein, which is a really good sci-fi book from the 60s, which, funny enough, actually came out, I think, two years before this book, Stranger in the Pentagon, came out. It's a really fun read. It's basically about, uh, I th- he's a Martian, I don't think it's a Venusian, but a Martian comes to Earth and he tries to make uh, contact with world leaders and then he they imprison him and he escapes and he like eventually like starts a cult and like it's like this whole like civil uprising they're following him and that's what uh, the president's advisors were saying they thought would happen if they revealed Val to the citizens and they maybe were right that people would have been like yeah fuck fuck the US government like let's get on this Venusian shit I mean wouldn't you yeah absolutely for sure everlasting life you know prosperity but Christianity yeah and I was just gonna say I'm not sure that I could swallow that aspect of it maybe I I don't know I mean well look if it's like oh we just fucked up Christianity on earth right these people on Venus nailed it and they're immortal and they're gonna live underground though so I don't know it's a lot to think about maybe maybe it's a rad underground city civilization that they have but I also wonder could you fake it or do you think that I mean Val Thor would know right he's he's seen through that shit right he's he's just too he, he would know so around this time uh, that Val had his final meeting with the president, strangers found out that there had been a newscaster that had learned of Val's presence uh, from a paid informant, someone at the Pentagon. But before he could run the story, he was allegedly silenced by the UFA. Uh, excuse me. He was allegedly silenced by the CIA and the same officials who had president who had pressured the president to keep Val's story out of the public eye. So it seemed like, you know, obviously they, for good reason, felt like they needed to be closed lipped about this whole thing. Valiant Thor left the Pentagon for the final time on March 16th, 1960, just as he was ordered to do. Uh, His earthly mission had come to an end for now. He went back to his ship where his crew awaited him, still in the wooded area outside of Alexandria, Virginia. As the ship began to take off, local military officials took notice and the U.S. Air Force scrambled some jets out of D.C. because they saw this anomalous craft, this object on radar. What does that mean, they scrambled? They they just... uh, Jets took off, like scrambled, like they they were told, "Hey, go intercept whatever this is." Oh, like they okay. just like yeah, they were okay. like something. Someone picked this up on radar. They got some some Air Force jets to to go and and get you know, said go and, and figure out what this is. Go engage with this thing. But just as the jets approached uh, Val's craft, an invisible force field was engaged. The craft dropped off radar. The jets lost sight of him. And from there, the craft uh, left our atmosphere and made its journey back to Venus. When he got back to Venus, he was debriefed and explained to his leaders that the U.S. leaders had refused to accept the help that he went there to offer. Uh, They weren't interested in what he had to say. They weren't interested in not using nuclear weapons he they just shut him down and he had sort of failed his mission but all was not lost because he was given a new mission by the council of central control and the new objectives were to mingle with and become as earth people 
to work and labor in earth enterprises, to help those who encounter possible threat or danger while striving for world peace, to give them advice and guidance, to entrust with superior knowledge those who have proven themselves, and to divulge the essence of their mission to the collective national leaders of earth only when the time is right. So basically, he he was given, they were like, all right, we tried this kind of global scale. Let's go local. Let's send you back and get you in with earth people. You find these good people, these people who you think might be able to help uh, execute this mission and, and might be able to understand what we're striving for. And, and then when the time is right, you can plead to more national leaders, not just the president, but other national leaders, hopefully. So that was his new mission. And Dr. Strange has claimed that at the time of him writing Stranger at the Pentagon in the, in the early 60s, Valiant Thor was still on Earth and still actively engaged in this mission and at the same time was assisting in preventing our civilization from being the cause of orbital chaos by the destruction of our planet. So Val came back and he, he began to pursue this mission and somehow was... Strange's is at least the way I'm interpreting it is suggesting that he has maybe been some unseen force in preventing us from blowing ourselves up is what he's suggesting there. So keeping us in check somehow. Keeping us in check somehow. So, you know, even though Val's story at the Pentagon was over, he his story on Earth wasn't and his relationship with Strange's was just beginning. A year after his initial meeting with Valiant Thor, Dr. Strange's would have the first of many unique encounters with the Venusian. One day while he was driving in Beverly Hills, California, Val suddenly and without explanation appeared in the passenger seat of Dr. Strange's car. And he just proceeded to chat with him as if it were a totally normal encounter, asking about his family, how's your wife, how are your kids, how's work? you know, how's the UFO lecture circuit, etc. And meetings like this would continue for several years. Um, during this time, Val began confiding in Stranges, uh, which was, you know, one of the, the guidelines of his mission. And he began to tell him about more about the Venusians and life on his own planet. And he explained that the high council had been what the high council meaning, which was not just the Venusians, but was like the intergalactic UN had been establishing communication bases on earth. Um, he said that these bases consisted of holographic communication devices that the space visitors would use to contact other ships on earth, as well as the starship, which has remained in orbit above our planet. So basically he's saying, you know, all right, we're infrastructure, infiltrating your planet more and more. We got more boots on the ground. We're really trying to be here to just enact what we think is right and, and prevent uh, some sort of global catastrophe. Years later in 1967, so you know this is almost a decade after his first meeting, um, strangers would have an encounter that he thought was pretty notable when it comes to his relationship with Val Thor. He was invited to West Germany to give a lecture at a UFO convention. And while he was there, he was approached by two men from an, who claimed to be from an Italian newspaper. It was a writer and a photographer, and they were hoping for an interview. Strangers agreed to do this interview over lunch. And during the interview, the men, uh, who were both dressed in black suits, all black, kept pressing Frank Strangers for information about, about Val Thor. Where is he now? When's the last time you talked to him? You know, wh How often are you communicating with him? They just kept bringing it up over and over and over. And he kind of gave them a detailed account leading up to meeting Val, but he left out, you know, he didn't tell them everything. He just told, told them a little bit and then just kind of kept brushing it off. But they continued asking over and over and over. And then at one point during the meeting, 
uh, it was interrupted and it when Frank Strange has received a phone call, he excused himself to take the call. And when he returned, the, the men in black suits were gone and the table had been wiped clean with the exception of the soup that he was eating for lunch. Now, uh, the, the, this next part I will read uh, verbatim from Strange's book. He says, perplexed, I sat down and swallowed a tablespoon full of soup, and then I knew something was wrong, very wrong. I tasted a gritty substance that burned like fire all the way down into my stomach. I made a quick grab for a glass of water on a nearby counter. I immediately located my interpreter, Mr. Anthony Lowe, and together we rushed back to the hotel. By this time, the blood was trickling out of my mouth and down the front of my shirt. He knew I was growing sicker and weaker with each passing moment. So he'd been poisoned. He, these men in black tried to interview him, tried to shake him down for info about Val Thor. He wouldn't budge, and they poisoned him in broad daylight, poisoned his soup. Um, when they reached this hotel, Strange's claims that his interpreter, Anthony Lowe, this guy Anthony Lowe, administered a dose of some, a dose of some sort of powder into a glass of water and instructed him to drink it. Strange just asked what it was, and Lowe admitted that he didn't know what it was. He was a medical student. He had access to medical supplies, but he didn't know what the powder was. He claimed he'd been instructed to mix this substance and bring it to him, bring it with him to West Germany by someone unknown. He had just gotten these instructions, hey, make this this concoction and take it with you. After drinking the mysterious substance, Dr. Strange just fell asleep into a deep sleep and when he awoke he miraculously felt completely fine he said moments after opening his eyes his telephone rang and we when he picked up he was shocked to hear val thor's voice on the other end val was calling from switzerland and he said frank how many times have i cautioned you to be careful to be very careful with whom you meet he said this should be a lesson for strangers and warned him warned him that there were in fact, men in black, both in dress and in motive, and that he needed to watch out for for these people because they were uh, th- th- this would, was how dangerous they were. They tried to poison him. So, in this reality, men in black are because we've looked at men in black on this show and just on our discussions and from several different angles. And they're sometimes they are aliens, right? Sometimes they're just shadowy government tough guys right so these are do you think these are like shadowy government tough guys or are they like intergalactic like low level mobsters that are just kind of bullies based on the fact that we're going to tell two other stories of in, encounters that he had with them, I think that the the latter. I think that they're they're some sort of uh, you, there's a um, I think an author named Timothy Beckley Green coined the phrase UFO silencers. I think that that right, right. I think that's that, but I do think maybe intergalactic here. I mean, they're certainly not just they don't seem to be just of U.S. government issued. They seem to or be earthly. Big. Maybe, maybe, maybe bigger than that. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, he's he had this run in, and he uh, Val Thor saved him somehow. Val Thor knew that this medical student was going to be his interpreter, and he had access to these <laughs> to this medicine. Told them to mix this. Val sees the big picture. He man. does <laughs> see the big picture. <laughs> So this wouldn't be the first time that he saved Dr. Strange's life. Um, 
The following year, Dr. Frank Strange is able to have what is probably his most extraordinary meeting with Valiant Thor. Uh, on June 5th, 1968, Strange has received a call from Val with instructions to meet him at the San Diego airport. And I believe Strange has lived in New York at the time. So this was not a small ask, but he obliged. And when he arrived at the airport, he found Val waiting for him in a car. Uh, the two drove south toward Mexico. When they hit the border, they kept going until they reached a, a small town called San Felipe. Uh, another note here for me, in the book, in Stranger at the Pentagon, Frank Strange has called the town San Felipe of Sonora, but I did a little digging and I believe he meant to say San Felipe of Baja because Sonora is an inland town. Uh, San Felipe of Sonora is inland and San Felipe of Baja is located on the Gulf of California. And based on where the story goes, uh, it would only make sense if it was on the Gulf of California, but who knows if that's an honest mistake or he just like picked a town on a map and he didn't even realize how close he actually came to being accurate if he had just picked like one province over. Uh, in San Felipe, Val led them to a beach located behind a restaurant where a small boat was waiting for them. Once aboard, they headed out onto the open water, again, I believe on the Gulf of California. And as they got further and further from land, he Frank Strange just couldn't believe his eyes. There in the middle of this huge body of water was a saucer-shaped UFO sitting on top of the water. Finally. Finally, just sitting there hovering. And he noticed as they got closer that the ship didn't seem to be moving with the with the tide or the current or the waves. It was kind of just like anchored there by some invisible force, even though it was sitting on the water. It wasn't it wasn't subject to the movement of the water, which is interesting. Uh, they entered the craft and Strange's was led to what he described as like a shower room, um, except there was no water. He disrobed and he instantly felt a purifying sensation unlike anything he'd ever felt before. And when he stepped out, he felt clean. They had This was some sort of, you know, uh, decontamination or whatever and he realized that after this process that he no longer needed his corrective eyeglasses so not only did it decontaminate him it cured him of this lifelong presumably life, lifelong ailment that he had he was then given a white suit to wear that he described uh, were similar to overalls. He said it was lightweight and kind of like the suit Val had originally worn when he had landed uh, back in, in D.C. Stranges was then taken to Val's quarters, and there he and Val discussed many things, uh, including, but not limited to, black holes, hollow earth, and the Bermuda Triangle. He doesn't go into detail on this, and I he I so wish he did. There are so many other things that he could have not gone into detail in in this book. Like, what do the Venusians think of the Bermuda Triangle? Like, fucking tell me that. That's exactly what I was going to say. I want to know that so bad. Or, or Hollow Earth, or what's in a black hole? Has Val Thor been in a black hole? Like, I want to know that. But he just, like, kind of, he just mentions it and doesn't dig deeper, which is disappointing. So then they have this really weird encounter, this really weird uh, experience Strange has had aboard the ship. While they were talking, Val Thor uh, told Stranges that he had been in contact with Bobby Kennedy, the politician. And Val had told Kennedy that he had great potential, but it wasn't the right time to harness it. He advised Kennedy that he shouldn't run for president yet and that he needed to be patient. Uh, Val then went on to explain to Frank Stranges that Kennedy had failed to heed this advice and, and he was worried about the outcome. And then with the press of some button in the ship, uh, one of the ship's walls turned into a giant TV screen in which Val Stranges and Val's crew 
watched Bobby Kennedy's assassination happen in real time. This is how he describes it in the book. Mm. Like, and he doesn't, he doesn't say, so that did, that was caught on like newscaster footage. There's footage of that. And he doesn't say if they watched like the newscaster like footage, footage or, or if they watched like the Truman show version <laughs> of like here's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing he probably means the news footage, but yeah, somehow they just piped in the live news feed of Bobby Kennedy's assassination, which is a really weird detail that you wouldn't expect to be in a book about a Venusian right. just a strange thing yeah like they turned the TV on at the second that yes really but obviously he had the foresight because he like right. he he but you know he he was talking about just strange I don't know it was weird it, it's a weird part of this I mean the whole thing's weird obviously uh Shortly after watching Bobby Kennedy get his fucking brains blown out on TV, <laughs> it was dinner time, and Strange's uh, Frank Strange's uh, appropriately describes the experience as an alien dinner. He noted that uh, it, it, the sustenance was not of this planet. He was fed some sort of high protein food and given a green drink that tasted like papaya. That's kind of all he goes into. He doesn't describe it any further. Uh, during vi- dinner, Val told Frank that he would be invited back to the ship from time to time to converse and cleanse. And after dinner, he got a tour of the rest of the ship before he was taken back to, to some guest quarters. He slept for a few hours and Val drove him back to California. Uh, another thing that we'll put up, there's a in the book, he has some sketches of the ship and how it looked on the inside and the layout and all that stuff. So we'll, we'll put those, a link to those images up. Um, the next story that I thought was interesting from the book, and there, I'm just going to tell like two more stories here uh, from, from Frank and about his, his encounters with Val. And then we'll, we'll get into our thoughts about it. But the next story took place in January, 1974. And uh, in this instance, Frank Stranges was summoned to meet Val and his crew on the outskirts of Las Vegas. So Stranges jumped on a plane. And when he arrived curbside in Vegas, he found two men in black suits waiting for him. Assuming these were friends of Val's, he followed them to a black Cadillac where a third man dressed in a black suit was waiting in the driver's seat. Come on, Frank. Come on. <laughs> what did Val tell you? He literally told you, don't fuck with me. He said, how many times have I told you? <laughs> yeah, so how many times? To- like, come on. He's, but Stranges uh, got in. They invited him to get in, into the Cadillac, and he did. And once he was inside the car, something that jumped out of him was the stench of cigar smoke. And he wrote that he was so excited to see Val that the smoke didn't trigger his his alarm system, but it should have. It should have tipped him off that something was amiss because he says, and I quote, space people, all caps, do not smoke and are never around people who do. I repeat, space people do not smoke and are never around people who do. So not even cigars, not even cigars. So just take, take note of that. So uh, yeah, man, you might, you might need to cut back if you, if you're hoping to I have mean, that's some, a, that's a good, just a good note and a good thing as we, uh, as we push forward to know <laughs> that space people don't hang around with people who smoke. He said that based on the smell of smoke, he should have known something that was radically wrong, but he didn't, he wasn't paying attention. Uh, just a few blocks from the airport, the black Cadillac pulled off to the side of the road and one man got out and motioned for Frank to follow him. As he was exiting the backseat of the car, the second man kicked him in the back, ejecting him from the backseat and sending him crumbling to the ground. He was already getting out. Once on the ground, they just kicked the shit out of him. They began kicking Frank over 
over and over. They smashed his glasses. He finally regained a, a, enough composure to fight back. He said he swung. Somehow. <laughs> he, he said, yeah, I mean, they, they're literally, I don't know how old he was at this point. Uh, he was born in 27 and this was 74. So, you know, he's, he's pushing 50. Uh, and somehow from being on the ground, getting kicked. And having his glasses smashed. Right. Got up and took control of the situation. Took control, took a swing. He said he broke one of their noses. His first swing made contact. He, he, he broke their broken nose. Uh, and as he attempted to defend himself more, a white Cadillac pulled up beside the black Cadillac. Two men in silvery white suits jumped out and ran to Frank Strange's aid. Uh, once subdued, the men in black ran back to their car and attempted to retreat but one of Val's men held out both of his arms toward the car and melted the rear tires so funny way to do it if you can stop them with a superpower funny to just melt that's like a comic book thing like to melt the rear tires but that's what he decided to you're do. You're not going anywhere. Like, why wouldn't he pop the tires or <laughs> Some, yeah. melt the tires? I, he melted in just the rear ones. Uh, and okay, then, he melted the tires. Then the other man, the other man in white, reached through the windshield of the Cadillac and pulled out the man in black who was driving without breaking the glass. So he pulled him through the glass windshield without breaking it. Um the other guy who melted the tires went around and he retrieved Frank's briefcase from the trunk in the same manner. He reached his hand into the, in, in through the trunk without opening it and pulled out the briefcase without opening the trunk somehow. Um, the men in white then grabbed Frank and got in their own Cadillac. He thought they were going to drive away, but after only driving a few feet, one of the men turned around toward the black car, held out both of his hands. Suddenly the black Cadillac along with the three men vanished completely gone. Just like gone, not there anymore. He said that you, you, the only thing left was like the disturbances in the dirt, in the sand where they had just had this, this kerfuffle. Uh, when Frank was about to ask what had happened, uh, before the words even left his mouth, the man replied, let's just say they've been displaced. (laughs) So during the drive to Val's ship, which was then uh, and still now parked on the western shore of Lake Mead. I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Stranges learned that these two men were named Don and Thon, T-H-O-N-N and D-O-N-N, and they were Val's brothers. Uh, Frank was obviously grateful, and these men said that you know that it was their it was their Christian duty to come help Frank, and don't don't mention it. Once they arrived at the ship. Frank went through the, the the cleansing method he was familiar with, and he was taken to a room for medical treatment. He wrote in his book that this room was strictly for the benefit of Earth people who visited the ship, as Venusians don't get hurt or ill. Uh, in this room, he was healed with the help of some wild space technology. He said he recalled a soft blue light scanning his body before he fell into a deep sleep, and he woke up feeling better. Uh, it, interesting note there that he says that they have they have a medical ward on the ship, but it's only for visitors because they don't need it because they never have any ailments or injuries, which is interesting. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about from his book happened in April of 1985. And these, these 1985. Yeah. Yeah. These stories were, I have the second edition of the book. So these obviously weren't included in the first edition. These were, these are only in, in the updated version, the revised version. Uh, in April 85, he would have his Frank Stranges would have his third nearly deadly, near deadly run in with the men in black. He said he was returning from a visit to the Hoover Dam with his wife and their car was run off the road by like a seemingly phantom car. They were driving and all of a sudden 
this car like cut them off and then they were run off the road, had a bad accident, but then the car was never like vanished. It wasn't there. And this accident left Frank Strange as paralyzed. Uh, he was rushed to the hospital and just before he was taken to be x-rayed, Val Thor inexplicably appeared. And he doesn't say that this wasn't like the other times where he was supposed to meet him or whatever. Val just like showed up knowing, I guess, sensing that Frank needed his help. Uh, he, Val told Frank not to worry and assured him that he would be all right. He then prayed to God to perform a healing miracle and Frank felt a warmth spread through his body and shortly thereafter regained his mobility thanks to Val's miracle. Um, Shortly, or not shortly, after this incident, the next time they hung out, uh, Val shared something with Frank that Frank writes about in the book. I'm not going to get into, but if you're interested, uh, Stranger at the Pentagon, you can find this, but Val shared something that he called the divine protection with Frank, uh, which Frank then passes that right on to the readers of his book. He calls it the ring of fire. But basically Val was like, you fucking idiot. You keep getting hurt. I'm just going to tell you how I keep, <laughs> I, I'm just going to give you how, the secret of how I don't get hurt. And like, please just use this because like, I'm sick of, you know, bailing helping. you out. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to know how, how Venusians protect themselves, uh, that's called the ring of fire. It's the right of divine protection. It's in the book. Not going to get into that. Frank, Strange has claimed at the time of the revision writing of his book that Val's ship, which was called Victor One, was still parked on the shores of Lake Mead and that Val and his compatriots were still on this planet in hopes of helping mankind uh, continue to not destroy itself. Um, you can read all these details in Frank's book, but very interesting. As I said, you know, Frank died in 2008, but, you know, at, as far as anybody could tell, Val Thor hasn't died yet, and he's he's still here. Um, in the end of uh, the book, Stranger of the Pentagon, Val, or excuse me, Frank sort of lets uh, Valiant Thor speak for himself, and, and he has a little chapter at the end. And in that, Val sort of encourages us, encourages us all to find the good in ourselves and pursue that, and he claims that a commitment to God is necessary for this spiritual growth. A uh, quote, he says, in conclusion, please remember to keep God's word, seek to do good, think thoughts of purity and godliness. You can change yourself for good and thereby the world will change. Do not be guilty of ignorance or avoidance of the perfect will of God. I leave you with my love. God bless you and God keep you always perfect in his ways. So that's the book. That's the book, Stranger in the Pentagon. This is the story of Val Thor as told by Frank E. Stranges. And there is a lot to unpack there. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I do at some point want to talk to you about the the Ring of Fire. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't tried it yet. Talk about that uh, another time. Pick a fight. So uh, Val Thor is a a prophet from Venus, correct? I think that is very accurate. He's yeah. a you know, I mean, he is an interesting piece of folklore, but he's basically. If there was okay, so let's say best case scenario, the story of Val Thor is the Pentagon, the government, whatever you want to call it, responding to the height of kind of the UFO craze and paranoia and this wild imagination that we were talking about and saying, hey, aliens aren't that bad. They're just good looking. American white Christian people. They just have an extra finger. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And that's all there is. So right. that's, we're fine. They're just, they're just like us. Uh, 
best best case scenario. Uh, that's what Val Thor is. And worst case scenario is that he's the product of Frank's imagination and kind of this so he's he's into like his Bible studies so whatever his education validity his history what whatever was true whatever wasn't true whatever what he wanted to project was that he was this very educated uh, but under the kind of like the uh, the the cloak of being like a good person and a Christian and stuff so he kind of just wanted to be a prophet yeah yeah totally so he wanted to mix the current popular undefined thing with a thing that whether or not he actually believed in it or not was the thing that he was going to use to kind of empower himself. So he kind of self-styled combined Christianity with this alien thing. And right. He was the guy. Yes. He was the guy that Val Thor, it'd be like, you know, I'm the guy that Jesus likes. Exactly. I don't know why. That's a yeah. crazy story how I ended up here. <laughs> But he likes me, and yes. he's told me everything, and I can't say that I'm, like, from a different planet, but I know a guy who is, right. and he trusts me, and he likes me. So I, I mean, that, that's, that's I think, what, what Frankie Strange's is. How was that his real name, dude? <laughs> dude? I don't know. I mean, there's so much about But yes, I, I think you nailed it. I think that that was... I, I think those were exactly his motivations. I think that he saw this this unique way of uh, of approaching this he saw you know this opportunity i mean he didn't see an opportunity he created an opportunity but then he just like went for it and like yeah i think that's exactly it and i i i man can you imagine like going to such lengths though of like like he wrote a whole like the details in this book are just, I, I mean, but they also say so much, I guess, about him because it's, you know, the first only the first half of the book, as you can maybe tell from my outline, is like really about Val Thor, and then the last half is about Frank Strange's and in like his life after knowing Val Thor, and right. like his life after carrying this knowledge and the weight of this knowledge, and, and it's exactly what you're saying. And it's almost as if the, uh, like the emphasis and the importance of certain things changes as if like, yeah, yeah. Oh, now like men in black are kind of being discussed. So let's do like men in black stuff. And, right. You know, just kind of, it, it's perfectly timed because it's before there was like an absolute flood of, uh, you know, fiction and nonfiction or whatever. He hit that sweet spot by design, obviously, yeah. of, well, people have this kind of undefined fear, interest, uh, you know, I didn't exist back then, and I don't know if I could call it a paranoia or not, that's just an assumption that I make, but people thought something weird's going on, and yeah, great, it's, even if it's not only Val Thor, there is some, there's something out there that connects us to it, and we're like the good guys, like he's a, a good-looking white Christian dude, and so we can listen to him. But he doesn't come out and talk. Oh, but he, yeah, he talks to Frankie Strange's, right. and he's you know. And, so it's uh, so maybe some other people later on that he deemed worthy. But yeah, I mean, how lucky are we that when the, when the aliens finally show up, they look like us but better. They dress like us but better. 
they worship God. They got five fingers, they got six fingers. Yeah, they worship worship God, God, but better. better. They're just, you know, it's just, they're... It's almost like a piece of, like, evangelical propaganda. Totally. Uh, Yes. Just, like, yeah, Venus, they got it figured out. They, They don't die. The whole cleansing thing, there's all these, like, weird religious overtones. Totally. Undertones. Uh that are just, I mean, now comic bookish. Yeah. But at that point, maybe that could have had an effect on a, a certain amount of people that read the book and just didn't completely disregard it as like manipulative gibberish. Of course it did. In that, in the encounter where it's like the men in black beating the shit out of Frank strangers in the desert. And then Val's friends come and save the day. It's literally black versus white men in black suits versus men in white suits, like good versus evil. Like the white Cadillac, the white Cadillac, the black is literally, I mean, it it is, he's just painting this, this picture that is just so ripe with what exactly what he wants it to be with. And, and, it's smart in some way for him to do, or was smart for him to do that. How many people do you think this changed their mind about Christianity or about UFOs or about both people? Like, I mean, maybe not in the thousands, but maybe, maybe, I mean, this certainly like, I don't know. I, 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 he was very clever in the way that he sells this story and fits it into exactly what his beliefs are. Like it's a cool idea in a way. And it also allows him to go off the deep end, but also stick to his guns right. in a certain way. And uh, I can't blame him. I mean, life's short. Do whatever the fuck you want. It's going to hurt anybody. We're sitting around for hours on end talking about, <laughs> yeah. talking about stories that we know aren't real. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah. That's fun, man. And it's like, I, when you propose this idea for a, a topic, I don't think we've really done that yet where we've gone into something where we both 100% know there's nothing there to talk about. It's like, it's just a crazy dude with a crazy fucking story. Uh, I'm glad that we got into it and talked about it. Like I said, I'd always kind of known what it was, but none of the details, obviously Uh, hadn't read, hadn't read a book or anything. Um, And it is, I feel like part of our responsibility somewhat to have a good understanding of this sliver of, a, of the UFO American kind of folklore culture. Exactly. Uh, I agree. And now we do. And we do. It, yeah. It's, it's a very, very fun story. It's UFO folklore. That's, that's very, very well said. And like, I think that's exactly, exactly what it is. And it's, it's worth mentioning that, you know, Dr. Frank Strange is dead, but if you go on Amazon, Val Thor has an author page on Amazon. <laughs> Val Thor eventually, someone under the name of Val Thor started publishing books on Amazon, and they are fucking wild. Like, really? It, I, I don't tell, have, tell me about. That. I don't have any. I should have. I should have bought one or tried to download one um, before we did this, but. I, as I was like researching this, well, topic, you buy, you get the physical copy in the mail. That way, you get, uh, you see Valiant Thor's, uh, the return address. Oh, there you that go. That could be a good, you know. So, yeah, here I'm on Amazon. I'm at the, I'm on the Val Thor author page. It has a photo. It's one of the photos from Strange's books. 74 titles that he's associated with. Uh, Valiant Thor's uh, Venusian Health Magic, The Virility of Vril. Uh, Valiant Thor's Venusian Science Secrets, The Supreme Technology of the Ascended Masters. Uh, the Art of Ascension, Achieving Communion with God and Creation. Outwitting Tomorrow, Secrets for Living from the Great 
pyramid. I mean, Val Thor, he's written a bunch of fucking books now. Uh, so, so he's just a new age guru. He's just like a new age guru. And I, I, I would love to know more about, I wonder, I, I would really love to know if he's writing all these books or if, if it's other people just submitting him them under his name, but it's just very fun, fun and funny and entertaining to think about that. Like, Oh wow. Uh, you're, you created this lore and it pro- it grew into something bigger than he strange has probably ever imagined. I mean, strange is dead. He's been dead for, uh, what? 15 years. So like he, he, who knows if he even knows of this, but it is very fun before it, I, I, I as like, I have to do some due diligence here and I have to point out some thought. Like we told the, we told the story, you know, you and I, talked before we recorded like we're just going to go through it and then t- say our thoughts like we're not like we know what the story is we know how silly it is but we're going to tell it there's some suspension of disbelief necessary to, to talk about the story and going back to that mindset for a minute the mindset that we were in like going over this topic i just want to point out some thoughts that immediately jump out at me the whole the gaping holes that like from a practical <laughs> and from like an investigative or research standpoint andrew and ian dissect how the story of valiant thor couldn't possibly be true so valiant thor was his presence was immediately known at the pentagon and specifically by someone at project blue book the the air force's uh task force for investigating UFOs. And, you know, we were talking about that. We started this episode talking about the new UAP report. So why is there not a Project Blue Book case about Valiant Thor? They had a fucking alien delivered to the Pentagon. So that's that's strike number one. That's the first thing I thought. Sure. Yeah. It's like uh, too big. It's in a different category. I don't know. That's just. Yeah. What? Like, again. In the book, did Stranges ever mention the existence of Project Blue Book? Did he know that Project Blue Book was a thing? He didn't mention it, but the dude who wrote the intro, the intro, this Andrew Bird guy, who said he answered the phone when the police picked up Valthor, right. he worked for Blue Book. So Strangest doesn't mention it, but he published the intro written by a guy from Blue Book. So he knows Okay, so exists. he went back and like crossed his T's and dotted his I, I's. He probably so. didn't even know that Project Blue Book ex- I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It seems like there would be some mention of it in the book. So he wrote the book. Somebody was like, Project Blue Book, and he was like, we'll fix it in the intro. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But that's the first thing I thought of. Why, why is there no Project Blue Book case report uh like dr j allen hynek who was in charge of of the the lead scientist of project blue book why didn't he ever speak on it he never said a word about it as far as far as i can tell the story of valiant thor was never acknowledged by blue book and the same goes not only for the beginning of the story but the end of val's time at the pentagon uh strangest writes that when he when his ship was taking off that Air Force jets were scrambled to intercept it. There's no Blue Book report about that. There would certainly be one if if that happened uh, for sure. And then moving on, similarly, why didn't Eisenhower or Nixon ever speak on or off the record about a Venusian living in the Pentagon? You know, uh, according to Strange's books, Eisenhower wanted to speak publicly but wasn't advised to do it. So it seems like somewhere along the way he would have just it would have come out like it's not in the story. He wants to tell people he's being forced to not. It just seems like somewhere along the way he would have spoken about it to someone. Yeah, He didn't, uh, you know, it's not hard to believe that 
Venusians would want to come to Earth to protect humankind from our own idiocy. I can believe that for sure. Like, clearly we've been on a path of self-destruction for as long as we have been walking upright, basically. But, obviously, I find it hard to swallow the idea that an extraterrestrial entity would travel all this way to preach the fucking word of God. Like, of course not. Like, no Dude, way to take the fun out of it. (laughs) Like, like, yes, exactly. Like, geez, faith in like a Christian God is absolutely archaic and compare that to how far advanced Val Thor's civilization seemed to be in comparison to ours. Like, just sorry, I'm not buying it again. Like I know I'm stating the obvious here, but I have to, I just have to, I made this list. I have to read it out loud. No, it's a Uh, warning to, you know, the next generation of self-styled modern prophets. Like (laughs) just don't do that. Yes. Learn from, uh, Frank E. Strange's mistakes. If you're going to do it, cloak it or do whatever you got to do to, to not make that same mistake again, but just don't, you know. You got to do the do the research. Nobody's going to listen to you, dude. It's going to make you seem crazier than a guy who believes in aliens. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, like, the only thing crazier than believing in aliens is believing in aliens who worship Jesus. <laughs> like, that's it. That's the end of the line. That's no fucking way. Get out of here. Okay, going down uh, some other thoughts I had, I do wonder why other people's accounts of this never came out. Like, okay, Nixon, he can't say anything. Eisenhower, he can't say anything. Blue Book, there was never an official report. Why didn't the Air Force photographer who took the photos come forward? Why didn't Howard Menger, 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 uh, talk about it. Maybe I missed it, but I couldn't find anything directly from his mouth about hosting Valiant Thor and his crew at that meeting in his backyard. Like he claimed to be in contact with Venusians. It seemed like he would have touted this interaction for sure. Like it would have come up. So obviously, and then this woman, Nancy Warren, who allegedly introduced Frank Strange to Val Thor, but there doesn't seem to be any accounts from her. Granted, I didn't dig a ton on her. And then the only other person from the story who seems to have gone on record, as I said, is this guy, Harley Andrew Bird, the Project Blue Book staffer who took the call, and he wrote the intro to the Stranger of the Pentagon, but it is almost as exactly what you said, as if it's like, either this person doesn't exist, or Frank Strange was like, hey, I need you to write this intro and like handed him like an outline and like plot points that he had to hit. And then he did that. And then, you know, um, then there's Frank Strange's, as I already said before, he claimed to have three PhDs from two schools. Uh, this was false. One of the schools never existed. The second didn't offer PhD programs. Um, and it's just, it, it seems like this was just like a very, very clever way for Frank to just like, spread the shit that he was interested in UFOs and the Bible like that. That's what he was into. And he hoped that it seemed, he hoped that the story of Valiant Thor, the God fearing alien from Venus would inspire non-believers to get on board with UFOs and or Christianity. That's what it seems like. Can't blame him. He was doing his thing. And it's like, you know, I was thinking about it. It's like, is that really fucking annoying? Do I hate this guy? It's just like, Obviously, it's, you know, not on, on either side of the spectrum, something that is even remotely believable. But it's like, if we had him as a guest on the podcast and he was cool and like a cool guy and funny, would you be like, hell yeah, dude, just do it. Or if he was lame, would you be like, yeah, you're, you know, spreading this, you know, Christian misinformation, trying to take possession of it, making it about yourself and like not like right. being basically like a sociopath 
mixed with uh, you're just like a fanatic. Right. So there's so many ways that it could that 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 the package of that person could be delivered. Yeah. And I guess, you know, he's passed away, so we'll never know. I would, you know, just for the sake of it felt following a Val Thor's kind of, uh, you know, advice, just, I just want to assume that Frankie Stranges was a good, a good dude, not adding more sickness to the world, but trying to add something positive and, you know, because he's gone and we'll never know. And I don't have any reason to believe otherwise. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Say that his heart was in the right place. We do need stuff like this. Yeah, for sure. Especially, again, this this was a ripe time for UFO culture. And, and then it was ripe time for, for a possible communist invasion in the United States. Like he... I am not on the same page with him about his religious beliefs, clearly. Or, you know, he's no longer with us. But uh, I gotta respect a man who wants to go on record and say we're gonna blow ourselves up if we keep fucking with these nuclear weapons I, I don't like we see eye to eye on that for sure right. like it's not doing any harm and there I will say his story never changed like it never he did stick to his guns like time and time again like from what I can I don't tell know if that's like, a good thing or a bad yeah, thing <laughs> like in his lecture series and like in interviews in the book and from what I can tell his story never changed but yeah as you said he's not he's not hurting anything and I he had some some points that I can you know see eye to eye or meet him on uh, about nuclear war and about you know humanity and the just US being government nice to each other and like, and just being, being nice like the, I, I that should be the takeaway from this story leave the Jesus out of it leave the God out of it just like don't be a shit and don't blow up your neighbor with a nuke and like maybe we'll all be a little better for it I don't know hopefully hopefully uh, yeah that's the story of Valiant Thor man I it this was it UFO folklore is now like something that a word it's a phrase that's going to be stuck in my brain for a while and I'm going to be pursuing more stories of that type because it's like I'm realizing I've never considered it under that lens but I'm realizing that that is like my shit I, that's I love it it's so good this was a, a really fun kind of like I said before we haven't done anything that kind of falls into that category I wouldn't be opposed to doing something like that again for sure in the near future uh, I do want to get back to talking about you know the stuff that I hope is the reason that the listeners not that they wouldn't enjoy the story that we just told but after this long hiatus back to the back to the good stuff absolutely and we will yeah we're gonna we're we're gonna have some more fun stuff and if you have a if you have a suggestion for us you want to chime in uh find us uh on instagram you can find the strange days zine on instagram also there's a patreon which is how you subscribe to the zine and i guess if you're new to this whole thing you know this this podcast is called the strange dispatch it's ian and i that we do this and it gets in tandem to strange days which is a printed magazine that i self-publish and we both contribute to and uh, yeah, if you have any any ideas of some strange stuff you want us to delve into, hit us up. Email us strangedayszine at gmail. We're open to it. We wanna we wanna talk weird. We wanna know what weird stuff you all want to talk about. I I certainly am not uh, n- not necessarily a, a walking encyclopedia of this stuff. So I'm sure there are stories out there that are interesting and wild and fun that I'm that aren't even on my radar. So 
yeah, this this was cool. I can't wait to talk more. I definitely have some ideas cooking. I mean, I feel like we maybe even owe some revisits to some stuff. To some, maybe it's some, been long enough for sure. Long enough. So. I also just want to say, if you are Val Thor or you or you know Valiant Thor, send him our way. Please if he's on email, way. he could be a you know a, a really cool first guest on the uh, on the dispatch. How, have him how email, cool would that be? Email me. Have him hop into the passenger seat of my Subaru while I'm driving to work one morning. Uh, yeah. I love up. that part we, where he says that he just starts, he gradually starts to confide. Yeah. I imagine Val Thor just materializing in the car and being like, Oh man, you're not going to fucking believe my wife on Venus is bumming me out. Like, do you know any chicks? Oh yeah. That's, I mean that, that is a great, humanizing thing of just thinking of, of Al, Val Thor having to air his dirty laundry. He only had one friend in the world to talk to about this stuff. And it's goddamn Frankie Strange's. What a what a burden Frank Strange has carried on all of our behalf. It's pretty amazing. Doing the Lord's work. Truly doing the Lord's work. Uh, well, thanks, man. This was fun. Thank you all for listening. Um, I feel like I just heard my, the bar cart jingling in my kitchen and I think that's a sign that we might need a drink after this episode. So, uh, thank Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Look out for some more Dispatch in your future. Keep an eye out for the new Strange Days. Volume 12 is coming out soon. Um, And yeah, uh, we hope you enjoy this. We're very happy to be back, and we hope that you will tune in for some further episodes this year. Anything else to add, man? I think you said it all. All right, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Stay strange. 